This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm Coronacast producer Will Ockenden. It's Tuesday, the 9th of February. That's right. Norman's still on holidays, not hanging out with quokkas, uh, but Will's here and so is UQ immunologist Larissa Labson. Welcome, Larissa, to Coronacast. Hi, thanks for having me. So we heard yesterday that South Africa's suspending the rollout of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine because it's there's a recent study that's showing that it's not as effective at, against the strain that's circulating widely widely in South Africa at the moment, which is being called the B1351 lineage. doesn't quite roll off the tongue as easily as South African variant. And that's the vaccine that most Australians are on track to get at the moment. So, Larissa, we're getting heaps of questions from our audience about this, and we're wondering if you might answer a few of us. First of all, what is it about the South African variant that makes it different? Why aren't people fighting it off if they've been vaccinated with the vaccines that have been developed so far? So the main changes to the South African variant are in its sequence. And what it's done is it's acquired some changes in that spike protein. And that spike protein, again, is the one that the virus uses to get inside our cells. And there's a particular bit of it, if you imagine it like a hand and opening a door handle, those changes are right on the fingertips. So they they enhance the way the virus binds to the cell, to the receptor ACE2. Um, So we think that that might be why it's more transmissible, just because it's better at getting into our cells. The other problem is that I guess against the fingertips, if you're still imagining that analogy, that's where the antibodies that our immune system makes to stop the virus from entering, that's where they tend to bind. So if the South African variant has changed some of those uh, particular spike protein bits to get into the cell, those antibodies can't bind against it either. So it's better at getting into our cells in the first place. And then the antibodies that we've made against the spike protein can no longer bind to that bit. So that's the main problem, and that's actually a problem that's not just unique to the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. So all the vaccines are made against the spike protein, and the sequence used for that was from the original Wuhan isolate because as soon as the the virus was sequenced in January last year in China, scientists started, you know, making the vaccine then and there. Um, But of course, we know that the virus has changed over time and it's made these variants like the UK variant, like this South African variant. And that means that the vaccine-induced immunity that we're all going to have potentially won't work against some of these new variants. And that's actually what's coming out in these trials. So looking at the the news with uh, South Africa suspending that mm-hmm. the Oxford vaccine rollout, what do you make of that? Is that something that we should be concerned about or do you think it's just them giving them a little bit of time while they find out what, what it could mean? Yeah, so I think it's finding out what it could mean. Um, it certainly doesn't seem like it's not safe. It just seems like it's not effective. So we already know that the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine was less effective than, say, the RNA-based vaccines, but ultimately they were... A f- proven effective in those first tests against sort of the original isolates, the original variants. So it'll be really interesting to know how effective, you know, the Pfizer, the Moderna vaccines are against this South African variant as well. Um, So essentially, yes, we need more time to know if it's effective. And of course, it's a huge logistical and expensive exercise to roll out a vaccine. So you want to be sure that it's actually going to be effective in protecting the population against the vaccine, and particularly when there's vaccine hesitancy and those other questions too. The limits, of course, are that it was a relatively small study, at least this interim data. I think it was only about 2,000 people. 
but it was in younger and healthier people. So I guess it's it's a decision for the South African government to make. What about in Australia? Like that's the vaccine that most Australians are on track to get. It's copped a bit of flack because it doesn't have the same report of efficacy as some of the other vaccines that you just mentioned. Is this another blow for it? Is it does it have any use? I think it definitely still does have use because it is so much cheaper to produce and easier to transport than than the other vaccines at this stage. But yes, this is a concern. So of course, we want to get vaccinated here in Australia so that we can start to open up our borders to outside and, and go back to what was more like normal life and ultimately to protect everyone and, and not live under this constant threat of escape of new variants from quarantine and hotels and that kind of thing. So I think this is going to be something that we're going to need to monitor, particularly as a lot of the new cases that are coming into our hotels do appear to be these two variants. We need to be sure that our vaccines are going to work against these emerging variants. Um, It's also, you know, another reason why vaccines are, are really great, but We need to have other ways of fighting off this virus too because we're still catching up even though we've we've manufactured these vaccines incredibly quickly. So we're getting heaps of questions from our audience about this understandably because it's a bit tricky to unpack. So Ben's asking, are the new variants of coronavirus like the one out of the UK and South Africa actually more transmissible or is it just that human behaviour has got more slack because of how long it's been that we've been dealing with this pandemic? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that... Most scientists are starting to to agree now that it does appear to be more transmissible. So this is partly because in the UK, that UK variant has really become the dominant variant. Um, and there is some evidence from lab assays that the, the virus with those variants and those changes are in, able to infect cells uh, better. So what's a lab assay? Is that where they've sort of, they're just testing it in a, in a Petri dish? Pretty much, yeah. So we're just seeing, is the virus better at getting inside of cells if it's got the UK variant sequence compared to the original sequence? So, you know, what we do in a lab, it's a first step, but it doesn't necessarily replicate what's happening in a human. So we need to combine all that information and gather as much data as possible from the epidemiological data. So that's where people are tracking how many cases there are, contact tracing, where they're spreading, whether it's becoming the dominant variant. Um, So that's all the genomic sequencing that they're doing constantly in the UK and also here. And it's it's those laboratory-based tests as well where we try and work out, well, in that case, how does this small change in the sequence, how does that translate to the virus actually being more transmissible and can we understand that? So those are still ongoing, but those all those experiments and that data gathering takes time. And of course, this is this is a public health emergency. So we think that it is more transmissible, but it's entirely possible too that a year into this crisis, people are just sort of sick of self-isolating and we're forgetting how critical it is to maintain social distance and good hygiene. So regardless of the variant, we still need to avoid catching COVID. And we have a question from Ian and he says we hear a lot about a different variants of the virus, but in spite of the huge number of cases and deaths in the US, we haven't really heard about any new variants occurring there. Is that due to the very high caseload in the USA or is it just not the um, the America keeping up on top of genomic testing? So again, that's a great question. It could, of course, be down to chance. But as far as I'm aware, the US is doing far less genomic testing than what they're doing in the UK. So it's 
it's really about um, how good your monitoring systems are. Um, and from what I'm aware of in the UK, they've really got that down pat. And that's where they identified the UK variant first in the UK, hence its name. But it's entirely possible that that emerged somewhere other than the UK. Um, we just don't really have a way of knowing that yet. And we don't really know exactly how these new variants, particularly these ones that are variants of concern, how they necessarily emerge. But we think that they're likely to emerge in immunocompromised patients. So that means someone who's potentially started to mount a bit of an immune response, but it hasn't been super effective. And kind of the same as what happens if you've got antibacterial resistance evolving. It's kind of the, the selection of the fittest. So the viruses that are in that immunocompromised patients, they're kind of under this pressure for the ones that can escape any kind of immunity to, to survive and to flourish. And we think that's how it could have potentially emerged. We were talking before about people kind of getting a bit sick of everything and sick of the pandemic. Tasha's written in regarding this. Uh, she's a dual citizen who is uh, living in Australia, but clearly wants to go and see a family overseas in Canada again. She wants to know when might international travel be likely once again? It's a question I think many people want to know. Oh, look, I wish I knew, but yeah. <laughs> you have to you have um, to give us a date. That's the, that's the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> look, realistically, I think until we know that the vaccines work and, and we see overseas that it's really uh, protecting a lot of people and that we're able to keep these variants under control. Unfortunately, with the emergence of these variants and this latest evidence that potentially these vaccines aren't going to work against these variants necessarily, that's, that's going to put things on hold for a while. The good news is that with all of these vaccine technologies, we're able to update the vaccines really quickly. But of course, it takes time to manufacture all of these vaccines. Um, so we could have a scenario in the future that it's a bit like the flu vaccine, which we have to have every year, and that's updating it to keep it working against the, the current circulating variants of COVID. But yeah, ideally we'll have other approaches to, to treating this virus as well. So we will have antivirals that'll work. Ideally, we'll also have better therapeutics for people who, who might land in hospital. Of course, we want to avoid that altogether, um, but we need to be prepared for all of them. Well, Coronacasters, thank you all for your questions. And Dr. Larissa Labson, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all we've got time for today. That's right. And if you've got a question for one of our brilliant experts that we're having on this week or any other week, you can send us a question at abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click Ask Your Questions and mention Coronacast so that we can find it. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>